welcome, well, welcome to episode nine of the Unweaving Chronic Pain podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andrea Moore, chronic pain specialist. As always, this podcast is absolutely not a replacement for medical intervention and is not to be used as medical advice. All right. Oh, y'all, I don't know where you're located, but it has been like 90 degrees for the past two weeks and today is like a high of 50 and it's very confusing for my body and I have a heat like the heat on in my house also if you can hear the random thuds in the background I apologize there there goes another one it's my husband working out in our garage gym and doesn't matter that I am like on a, the second floor away from it you can still hear him dropping his weight so that's what that is in case you're wondering if you can hear that don't know if my microphone's picking that up or not <sighs> so today I really wanted to talk about needs needs of our bodies but we're gonna do this in a pretty specific manner so rather than talking in depth about every single needs of the human body because I'm, I'm definitely not gonna do that today I actually want to cover two specifically and and troubleshoot them a bit because they are two needs that I often see like uh, attempted and then abandoned. So it's often things that people are like, oh yeah, I should try that. And then they try it and it doesn't work. And they're like, meh, I don't, I don't actually need that. But y'all, this is, this is like human biology. Like there's not exceptions here. Okay, it's just a fact of life. As humans, we need certain things to thrive. And I'm not talking just survival here. Okay, I'm talking about actual thriving here. So what I'm going to be speaking in specific about in a, in a minute here is a movement practice and some type of like mindfulness reflection inner work. I'm going to just kind of meld those together. Some type of that practice, all right? I feel, and I mean, biology really supports that these are essential to live a life where you're thriving, not just surviving. C can you get away with not moving and not doing like inner work and survive? I mean, sort of. I mean, movement, that's probably a little bit more of a non-negotiable. Like, your body starts to deteriorate after, like, 36, not, not even 36 hours of bed rest. So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to argue movement actually is 100% essential for survival. Inner work, maybe not so much. But that's not what I'm talking about here. Because we're, we're not here to just, like, be alive and be, like, you know, humans that are just breathing. Okay, I'm assuming if you're listening to this podcast, you, you're listening because you want to be more than that. Right? You, you want to thrive. And so that's what I'm talking about. And I absolutely 100% cannot think of any exceptions. Please let me know if you can. Of where these things would be, someone would be exempt from them to live a life where they are truly thriving. So before we get into those, though, I want to actually step back and use a little bit of a different example and introduce another need that everyone's familiar with, which is water. All right. I, I, I'm, I'm hoping we can all be on the same page that water is essential to life. That's even essential to just surviving. Right. Um, 
And a lot of people survive on a lot less water than they actually do need, though, to thrive, right? And it's not super uncommon that when someone isn't drinking that much water, that if they learn that drinking more is helpful, they're kind of like, mm, yeah, right, like, how's water going to help me? And sometimes maybe they, like, drink more for, like, a couple days and they're like, meh, that didn't help anything. And they just give it up. And that's an example where people like abandon a true need because they didn't give it time to have the effect. So let's use an example of a super dried up sponge. You know that sponge that you find in the back of your, like under your sink thing that's like in a little crisp. Imagine just taking that, running water on it for like three seconds and be like, oh, it doesn't work anymore. The sponge doesn't absorb water. Right, because the water will just roll right off of it. It's so dry, it can't even absorb water. Right, and if you just turn off the water before you give it a chance, where you kind of start like massaging the sponge a little bit, it it really won't absorb the water. Right, and you'll you'll like miss out on that. Now, obviously, that time frame is much smaller than what what we actually need in life to see the benefits of drinking water. But it's a good example of if we if we give up too quickly. We don't see the benefits and it's easy to just be like, oh, sorry, that didn't work. So this really happens a lot, even with water drinking. So I wasn't really planning on diving in deep with water drinking, but we are because drinking water is so freaking important and incredibly important if you are in chronic pain. It's important for everybody, but definitely for pain. And maybe, I always say this, maybe I can do a whole other episode on why water is so freaking important for pain. Just for right now, trust me, it is. It's really important for your muscles and your joints um, and and fascia, especially. So all of these things. So what often happens, actually, for some people when they haven't been drinking water and they've been eating a lot of processed foods, like, like not many, many fruits or vegetables because those have lots of water in them, when they start drinking water, they'll actually have negative side effects. So sometimes water actually makes them nauseous or it's like, oh, like it's just nauseating to drink. There's almost this like physical like repulsion to it. And let's say that person has is like, okay, I was told water's helpful, but now it just makes me feel like even more shit. Again, they're gonna be like, eh, doesn't work for me. You guys, this isn't a negotiable. This, that person's not exempt from needing water. Right? Just because it, it literally did make them feel nauseous and horrible does not mean they don't need water. We need to look deeper. We need to troubleshoot. Why, why is someone rejecting something that their body so deeply needs? Does this make sense? Does this start to be a little bit of a different way to look at it? So... There's there's two options someone could take. I mean, there's probably more. But one, they could just force themselves to drink water. And and with water, the reality is probably if you force yourself through it, you'll probably get to the point where your body can can be okay with it. But that's going to be a really miserable either a few days or a few weeks, however long it takes for that to happen. Because you have to drink water like all day long to get the benefits, right? Or you could troubleshoot it you could start to ask what is the reason this person is rejecting water 
something I know I need. So that's not the negotiable piece here. That's not the piece that needs to be looked at, the piece that needs to be looked at. Why are, is their body rejecting it? And I'm definitely not going to speak to that on this podcast because that gets super individualized um, to the person. But there's a number of reasons why that happens. And there is a lot of support that can be given to aid that, to make the journey of their body, like being able to accept water and absorb it, way more comfortable and way less miserable. There, there might be some. I'm not going to, we're never going to promise a totally stress-free journey or journey-free or discomfort-free journey. That would be the better way to say it. But there's definitely things you can do to support. You don't need to force yourself through things either. And this, what starts, again, for water, people aren't usually aren't that confused about it. You're probably listening. You're like, seriously, who doesn't think they need water, right? But this starts to get confused in other aspects. And again, the, the pieces that we're going to talk about here, this, this like mindfulness reflection inner work piece and this movement piece, where people start to try those and in it because they don't see it as a true need. So rather than troubleshooting it, they just ditch the whole thing. It's kind of like the whole throwing out the whole like baby with the bathwater. There are times you really just need to give things a chance to, to see if it's going to work. And this is what's, this is what's challenging here is there's times where you just need time, okay? Like, that's why there's those, like, drink water for 30-day challenges and not drink water for one-day challenge, which, whatever, you got to start somewhere. But it's because it can take 30 days to see the effects of drinking water, right? You might not see it right away. And sometimes you don't even, even if you do drink it for 30 days, you might not even notice a difference. It's sometimes when you stop then drinking it that you notice the difference all of a sudden. Our ba- you know, that's, that could be another topic. Our bodies are not, sometimes are not so good at like celebrating changes. We just like wake up and we're like, oh cool, we're feeling better. That's how I've always felt, forgetting the fact that we like felt like shit two weeks ago when we woke up. But anyways, whole, whole different thing. So what often happens again is that people either abandon things too quickly, not troubleshoot, the process of what's going on, like not dig deeper of why their body can't accept it um, before they like are able to see the benefits. Now, where this all gets then even more complicated is there's a lot of things in life and on healing journeys and that we see on the internet and see advertised to us that aren't true needs. Or not true needs for everybody, I should say. These things like, you know, maybe it's a, a, a supplement or maybe it's, maybe it's a type of body work. Like things like chiropractic care, physical therapy, acupuncture, cupping, dry needling, myofascial release, massage, whatever. All of these things or some foam roller that you saw that seemed really cool or some exercise that promised pain relief. Th- things like that. All things that in themselves might be amazing for some people, but may not work for other people, right? So these aren't true needs of everybody. They just might be really awesome things for some people. Like maybe for some bodies, it is a true need for like actual like thriving we're talking about, but it's not going to be the need for everybody. So let's get into the movement piece first. 
Now in movement, I'm going to definitely include strengthening in this as well. Like a good, uh, like a full movement practice. I am talking about one that is including strengthening and mobility work. Okay. On top of just like moving your body. Now, again, what this looks like for different people is going to be variable. And what I see happen a lot is an abandonment abandonment of it because someone tried a method that was not either appropriate for their body or appropriate for their like place in their journey. So at the extreme example, someone who just broke their ankle cannot now get into a plyometric jumping exercise, right? Like that would be the extreme of like, hey, I just broke my ankle. Let me go to this class that just does a lot of jumping. Oh, fuck. Exercise doesn't work for me. Look. Yeah, well, no crap. You choose you chose the wrong thing for your body at this time, right? So, some, But like maybe in six months they can be jumping and, and that'll be exactly what their body needs. So I want to use the example of hypermobility because hypermobility and chronic pain often go together. There, a lot of people with chronic pain have hypermobility. And hypermobility is probably one of the most common places I see exercise abandoned when it is needed like the most. Like one of the most essential pieces with hypermobility is having good strength. And, and it, it like oh, just makes me... Oh, really upset when I see this piece abandoned or skipped over because people don't know how to work with it properly. So with hypermobility, again, we're going to just stay on hypermobility for a second. What often happens is because people have pain, when they think of exercise or movement, they go to just general strengthening or like maybe they go to a personal trainer. Maybe they see some, you know, a class that their friend tried and said was great but it's not tailored to their bodies. And the reality is with a lot of hypermobility or Ehlers-Danlos, like whichever degree we're talking about here, a lot of baseline stabilization has to happen before you're ever able to, to get to that level of strengthening. So actually, if I could get people like if I could assign a dream world here, everyone with hypermobility, well, probably not everyone, but okay, most people with hypermobility should absolutely have a weight training program. Like, I absolutely, deeply believe in that, that they should be able, you know, be doing like weighted lunges and squats and things like that, but, but not start with that. Absolutely not start with that. That is going to be something that could take years to be prepared for. And that's where this like, quote unquote, troubleshooting takes place. Because if you jump right into that, if you're like, all right, I'm going to strength train. And that's the first thing you do is weighted lunges. (laughs) For anyone with hypermobility listening, you know that's not going to go well. Right? Some people with hypermobility can barely hold their own heads up. Or the Ehlers-Danlos, I should say. But both, whatever. They, they were overlapping them. We're not, we're not getting into the nitty-gritty about those two right now. Maybe another time. Um, so you definitely can't be doing weighted lunges. Now, for, so for hypermobility, for this piece, 
What would have to happen first to troubleshoot the exercise component or the movement component is that there would need to be deep stabilization that is very fine-tuned, that often really needs one-on-one, like eyes on you, ensuring that the right muscles are firing because it's so common for there to be misfiring and adaptive patterns that, that happen with it. And you might even need, some might even need like support before they can even do the stabilization exercises. And that might include like types of mobility work or like kinesio tape stuff, whatever. We're not going to get into that. But the point is, is is like, it's, it's going back to the very beginning of like, where, how can I meet this person where they are? All right. Maybe the end goal is weighted training, but you cannot start there. All right. So what I see happen though instead is that those with hypermobility get stuck in this pattern of I tried exercise, it made me hurt worse because the exercise was inappropriate. So I go to manual therapy, like myofascial release or cupping or any type of this type of work. Maybe you know I go to the chiropractor and I get like my atlas adjusted. I think that's a very common one I hear. And I feel better. And then on the car ride home, it gets undone. Well, no crap, because you don't have any strength to support it. And it's not that the adjustment was wrong or inappropriate. Obviously, it helped. But you also need to be able to support it muscularly. And this is where strength is so important, especially for hypermobility. But so many, so, so many people with hypermobility, with chronic pain, say, I can't do exercise, I can't strengthen because it hurts too much or because it causes and in hypermobility because it causes like my pelvis to go out and things like that and that's when that the exercise is just then inappropriate the person who's who's work taking you through if they're not troubleshooting with you with that then they don't know what they're doing you need to find somebody who's able to accommodate for your body it's not the exercise piece or the strengthening piece that's wrong that isn't the need it's that it's not being done appropriately for your body for that time. But the need is there. The need is so important. Now, let's take someone who is kind of on the quote-unquote normal spectrum of mobility. Like you're just everyday person who's isn't hypermobile, they're not super stiff, they just they're just in the middle on that spectrum. What you can sometimes see happen is they end up finding a trainer or a physical therapist or whatever who actually, let's say, maybe they specialize in hypermobility or chronic pain or whatever their training was, and it's all these super fine-tuned movements. These really low, like, I don't want to say low level because that's not the right word, but it's it's like these very, very baseline deep stabilization type movements which aren't going to be cardiovascularly challenging, or, and in someone who doesn't have an issue in those muscles, who those muscles are firing appropriately, it's not going to challenge their system at all, right? So let's say they go and they attend these, you know, sessions for months and they might feel the muscle burn. Like they might feel like it's doing something because when you're operating at that like uh, level of stabilization, like you're probably going to feel it. So it's going to feel like you're doing something, but like they might have zero difference in their baseline strength and in their life. It's not going to show up. And so they'll be like, this didn't work. I tried strengthening and it didn't work. Well, yeah, because that strengthening isn't appropriate for it. You didn't need that level of detail. 
right? Some people need that, some people don't. There's no right or wrong here. It's literally just what your body needs. That person who has good mobility, who has like a decent, you know, baseline strength, there's someone who might be able to just jump into like a boot camp class and do fine and then really notice the benefits of exercise as they, they're able to just get like into that level of things. And they still need that, right? They still need that piece. So I hope I hope this is making sense in terms of the troubleshooting. And, and if you've been someone who's had trouble introducing strengthening in your life, that it might inspire you to be like, hmm, maybe... Maybe it was the type that I was receiving that was the issue, not the strengthening itself. And, and I tie in chronic pain with hypermobility because oftentimes it can be similar. Like some, oftentimes even if someone with chronic pain has normal levels of mobility, they may need that more fine-tuned treatment and like detail to their exercise at first before they can go into those things, even if they don't have hypermobility. Other times they don't need it. And again, this can be where things go wrong with some chronic pain. If you start there and actually emphasize too much level of detail, you can actually flare up people's pain. Like it's almost too much. Some people with chronic pain actually do way better with much larger movements and like going into a more intense class that actually is loaded. But again, that's that becomes individualized. So I'll throw that out there too. If, you, if you've had chronic pain and you've tried something like Pilates or something where it is very detail oriented of like move your spine in this little tiny way and it's flared up your pain, it might be because that is actually not what you needed. That you needed just like, hey, like move. Don't think about your movements, just move. All right. And again, that's something that, you know, if you sign up for like a pain strategy session with me or just DM me on Instagram, I might be able to help you troubleshoot a little bit there if you let me know I just need to know more about you know what's going on for you because this is highly individualized but again what's needed for the body the actual strengthening component is non-negotiable the human body needs muscle mass to thrive muscle mass and like leg strength grip strength are one of the greatest predictors of longevity and function okay because who cares about how long you live if you're miserable right? Or you can't function or do anything. I mean, obviously we care. You know what I mean? But like the goal is, is like, let's live as long as possible, but with high functioning, right? You'll be able to get out and do things and really enjoy life. And that is where like muscle strength trumps every other thing. Like blood pressure is not that important. Your resting heart rate is not that important. All of your weight definitely is not important. None of those things are as good of a predictor of like health and function as just actual muscle strength. Like I cannot emphasize that enough. One of the coolest stories, coolest, traumatic, and I'm going to butcher because I was not planning on sharing this, but it's coming to mind right now. So I'm going to share it is, I think her name is Miranda. She's a cross. She was, she is, was, I have no idea. Crossfitter. And, and again, please excuse me if I get the details of the story wrong. I have not heard the story in a couple years, but again, it's coming to mind. So I'm going to share. She was driving. She got T-boned really bad in a really bad car accident. And she had some neck pain enough that she ended up going, I think it was after a couple weeks. Like, I don't think it was right after the car accident. She ended up going and getting x-rays at some point. And 
but I think didn't see the results like right away or whatever it was. But anyway, she's like, I have to go do a workout, like a super intense CrossFit workout. And like, I think her, it's like her boyfriend all of a sudden like comes running and it's like, stop, like, don't do it. And I guess she had been getting all these, like she hadn't been checking her phone and all like, whoever took the x-rays was calling and calling her. And finally, I think got a hold of her boyfriend and was like, you have what's called, and again, I might be getting this wrong, so sorry, but I think what she had was like a hangman's fracture, which is where your C2 vertebrae, it's got that little like thing that sticks right up. That That's what gets fractured and that's what kills you when you get, if someone were to be hung, okay? So that was fractured, which normally kills somebody. And she's been, she was walking around with that. And basically what they said, because her the mass of her muscles around her neck were, was so huge from the amount of work working out she did, it acted as like a cervical brace and saved her life. And then they were able to like, she obviously had to be then like in a halo and all of that good stuff to, to stop it because one wrong move could have um, done her in basically. But it, it's just an extreme example, don't get me wrong, but it is an example of where muscle mass like saves lives. Like there's so much research to support the more muscle mass you have, the more resilient your body is. The better you can move, the better you can withstand things. Even just like being sick and like, you know, being out for like a week with a full, like a really bad flu or like something like with COVID, whatever, like having muscle mass, it, it, it gives your body so many resources to feed off of. And especially in cases where you like someone is sick or hospitalized. The person with muscle mass is always going to do better than the person without it. It's just the reality. Like we, again, we, we unfortunately can't change biology. Like that might be upsetting to hear if you are someone who doesn't have muscle mass. And like so much compassion because there's so many reasons why people end up without muscle mass. And it's, it, is, it is the reality. And the really cool thing about muscles is you can always strengthen them. Always. There's, there are people who at 90 years old start to strengthen. It's never too late to strengthen. It becomes much more challenging the longer you wait. And just for, for a number of reasons. But it's always doable. So, alright, we're going to move on and I, I hope that was helpful from the the muscle strengthening standpoint and I don't talk about muscle strengthening as much just because it's not really what I'm able to do um I, I do it a little bit in my work with people don't get me wrong I make sure they are having some levels of strengthening but by no means is that something I cover extensively um and and solely because I think in person is always often better like I can do a lot virtually, but it's still got to be something that someone's doing on their own multiple times per week too. So I really just wanted to make sure the importance of that was covered. Now, the other big need is this, and again, I'm totally lumping this together. I was, I was just debating picking it apart, but for, for this episode, I'm not going to, is this like reflection, mindfulness, inner work piece. And this is something where I 
often see it abandoned when people learn about like meditation or even mindfulness or like a gratitude practice, like a journaling practice, something like that where they're like, oh, I, you know, I've learned this is going to be really helpful. And they try it and it does not work for them. So most, by far the most common example of this, especially with pretty much every woman I've worked with with chronic pain, is meditation. What happens is, hey, I tried meditation. My mind couldn't sit still, so therefore it didn't work for me. I can't meditate. That's what happens over and over and over and over and over. I hear that. The reality is, is one, you don't, not everyone needs to meditate in the traditional sense of like what you're thinking about. And two, if your mind's going everywhere while you're meditating, that's, that's why you need to meditate. That's not, you can't meditate. That's it, exactly why you meditate. So I'm going to just real quick, I can't, I can't resist. Cover that real quick. Meditation at its core is the practice of bringing your mind back to your body. Noticing it's wandered off and bringing it back is the meditation practice. It's not the sitting still part. It's not the my mind is clear part. That's not the important part of meditation. That's not where all the benefits arise from. The benefits arise from learning that skill of noticing your mind is wandered off and bringing it back. Which means if your mind is constantly wandering while you're meditating, that means you have hundreds of opportunities in a five minute session to practice that skill. Maybe you only notice it one time, the entire five minutes you sat down to meditate, your mind is thinking about your shopping list, but at the very end you're like, crap, I haven't been, you know, my mind's been wandering this whole time. And you bring it back to your body, even if it's just for a second, you have started to build that like muscle of meditation. Okay, I I just wanna throw that piece in here, but I don't even wanna talk about meditation that much. Because that is probably the number one most common thing I hear that prevents people from engaging in other, even even other types of mindfulness. Because meditation by far is like, I think the most known one. And people are like, they associate all mindfulness with meditation and they're like, I can't meditate and therefore done. I'm not gonna do any mindfulness practice. So I'm just gonna throw that in about meditation of it is not sitting with your mind still. It's noticing your mind has wandered and bringing it back to your body, that's the skill. And you don't even need to do that. Literally don't need to do that to have a good mindfulness practice. Okay, because mindfulness can happen in so many different ways. So like I mentioned, it's like some people do like a lot more mindfulness or reflection, inner work through journaling. Okay, that's just like being in touch again with what's going on in your body and your thoughts. Some people can have a mindfulness practice through movement, just noticing how your body is moving or you could just go for a walk and notice like have no music no you can I mean you can if you want to but it's like no like like don't listen to a podcast or audiobook or anything it's just like noticing the sounds and the colors and how your feet feel that's mindfulness you've just done a mindfulness practice that's it it's not that complicated it doesn't need to be this like challenging thing you don't need anything for it right now if you just take a breath Notice how your body feels. Like just scan real quick of like, hmm, do I feel uncomfortable anywhere? Do I feel tension anywhere? 
Oh wow, my left shoulder's super hiked up because it just is hiked up there and my jaw's super clenched. Cool, guess what? You just did mindfulness. Yay! Okay, that's it. You didn't have to change anything. It's literally just noticing. And and I truly, truly, truly believe that mindfulness, inner work, reflection, again, we're not gonna I'm not gonna get into detail about them because we'll we'll piece these out are absolutely essential to thriving. Because it's your body ultimately that is the best guide that has all the answers. Sometimes your body might guide you to get external help on things, but it's your body that did that. So you might be truly guided from an authentic place in your body to go be like, hey, go see this specialist it's your body that guided you not like some ad you saw on social media that made you think that that's what you needed to fix yourself all right you start to see the difference here and and we cannot connect to our body's knowing without mindfulness self-reflection and inner work it's not possible we just stay in the chatter of our brains it's not connecting to our bodies That's staying in our brains craziness because brains are just freaking insane. (laughs) So if you've tried some type of mindfulness practice and it hasn't worked, I'm going to offer you this. I first want you to reflect on, especially if you tried something like meditation. Let's say meditation is something that like the, the aspect of it is appealing to you, but you tried it and you couldn't do it. How, how does it feel already just, to ha- already just to have that reframe on it? That meditation may not be exactly what you thought it was. So it actually turns out you don't suck at meditation. You can't suck at meditation. It's impossible. You know, may- maybe just having that guidance of you, you don't need to be sitting still for meditation to be effective. Maybe that, that's all you needed and you can try it again if that calls to you. So I want you to first evaluate if you've tried mindfulness practice or gratitude practice, things like that, of where you may be expecting too much from it or expecting yourself to be really good at something that you're a brand new baby at, right? Because if you haven't practiced something, you're not going to be good at it. Like... Let's use running as a very quick example. Like, let's say you're like, I've decided I want to get, like, do cardio and I'm going to use running as my cardio. Well, let's say your ankle hurts. Okay, so you can't even, like, all of your training to get to the point where you can run without pain, none of that's going to give you the cardio benefit you wanted. You needed to kind of do all this pre-work to even, like, get to the point where you could start to get the benefit. So a lot of times that's what happens with like a a more mindfulness or meditative type practice is like there's almost this other work that needs to be done that is getting it's getting tons of benefit obviously like you rehabbing your ankle is tons of benefit it just might not be in the way you expected it to be so it's just resetting those expectations because any work you're doing to get to the point where you you can like hone that skill of meditation is obscenely beneficial but it just might look like the expectation of it might be different. 
So first asking yourself again, it's like, do you have the proper expectations? Were you expecting a session of journaling to solve all your life's problems? Because it's not going to. Like, let's just like, get rid of that right now. It's like not how it works. Were you expecting because you wrote down a list of 100 things you're grateful or even five things you're grateful for that you were then just going to be grateful all the time? It's just not going to happen. Sorry. So like any type of like these meditative, mindfulness, inner work, reflective practices, they need to happen consistently to start to see a benefit. Like there's got to be some level of consistency there. And then two, just starting to evaluate is the, is the type that you're choosing, does that, feel, does that feel good for you? And now, this is where some differential needs to happen. Feeling uncomfortable or like it's hard is very different than it feels not aligned for you. Okay? Discomfort and it being hard are normal for anything that's new. You're literally like, practicing a brand new skill and as adults we don't like practicing brand new skills because we're not used to not being good at things we're kind of used to just knowing how to do things so when we're all of a sudden we're trying something that we haven't done before and it's new and it feels clunky and weird we don't like that so we assume that it's not right for us or that it's not helping and two the very active mindfulness and gratitude or whatever i keep using different words here any of that stuff is inherently oftentimes going to bring up some shit and unprocessed things. So now we have like a doubly uncomfortable situation here, right? So is it that type of discomfort, which is hmm, kind of kind of what you want? And that's where you get the benefits from is by experiencing that and processing it and allowing it? Or is it? are you trying to do it in a way that just like doesn't, feel aligned for you right now so like for me i i really like guided like meditative practices i i do not i will never i don't think i ever have i've maybe tried it and again i was totally that person who's like i tried sitting in silence and it didn't work like i never just sit in silent meditation like i i don't feel like that's benefit do i maybe need to work on that i don't know maybe whatever i don't care I really like guided meditations and where it's almost like a process, like they're guiding me on a process to do in my own body. Um, for the most part, like movement mindfulness doesn't really, I, I have a really hard time with that. It's actually something that I am, I, I want to like hone that skill. Like I know that skill isn't there, but for me right now, it's not something that, that feels really like resonant. Um, maybe if you hear me talk about it in six months, I might be all about it. But like for right now, like that's really not where I get a lot of benefit. It's there's, I just, I don't know. When I like to exercise, like I like to just exercise and get the like sweat on. <laughs> like I, I rather do my inner work in other ways. Whereas other people, I know some people who like through dance and movement, yoga, stretching, like whatever, they do like the most amazing inner work and reflection. And that's exactly what feels really aligned. You can really get deep into their bodies. Um, for others, journaling is a huge one. Journaling is another one that like, I, I'll use it at times. And when I do, when I feel called to do it, it's super effective. But it's not in my daily practice. And I've actually, that one's one that, that I have given quite a bit of consistency to. And it's just like, mm. I, 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 it for me, it works better when I feel called to do it. 
Um, so it's again, it's feeling like what what feels really aligned for you, whatever it might be. And so, are you picking that? Because if you're trying to force yourself to do one that like sounded cool, because like that person on Instagram said that that's gonna solve your problems, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> Pick one that's like really, like again, authentically feels right for you, and then just give it a try. See how it goes and just start to notice, okay, do, do I not like this because it's hard, because it's different, because it's bringing up shit that I need to deal with or because like, nah, this is just like, isn't, isn't working for me right now, right? To try to differentiate between those two because oftentimes when, when this type of work does exactly what it's supposed to do, we abandon it because it feels uncomfortable. So again, to live a thriving life, this type of work is essential. Like, there are no exceptions to this. We cannot live an authentic, true life without it. We'll be forever looking for, ex- like, external things to, quote-unquote, solve us, to or solve our problems, to fix us, to, like, find the answer that we're looking for, when really it's all internal, but we cannot find those internal things if we don't have this practice. It takes time to start to develop, to develop that, like, internal dialogue that's like truly in your body and not just like your own thoughts racing in your head saying crazy ass things that make you think you're listening to your body but like you're really not it's just your brain running wild all right so oh okay so we covered two big things today that movement piece and this like inner work reflective um mindfulness piece And I know I didn't tell you how to do those pieces. I think hopefully I gave you some ideas of places to start or things to look for, things to troubleshoot. Um, But those things are absolutely just essential for anyone experiencing chronic pain. Those two things, like if you can start, like integrate those two things in your life, like holy shit, like you just changed the freaking game. All right. And if you've tried those things and they haven't worked, again, that's where this troubleshooting place comes in. This is this is a non-negotiable for chronic pain, these two things. It, it, honestly, I think they're non-negotiable for anybody, but especially for healing and unweaving chronic pain. These are non-negotiables. But starting them at a place that feels good for you and aligned for you and right for you. And if you need help doing that, that's exactly what I do exactly what I do in my one-on-one work so just sign up for that like pain strategy session and let's start to hash these out you can specifically ask me and we can you know see what we can get done because these are so important all right as always you can find me at dr andrea moore on instagram or drandreamore.com and that should be in the show notes and if you have any questions, any comments, again, hit me up on Instagram, easiest place, or on my website, you can email me from there. All right. Thank you for listening.